The kakadu plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. That was nice. Wait, what is that? It's something, right? I don't know what it is. (laughs) We belong together. Is that not it? (laughs) Maybe that is. (laughs) I have no idea. I don't know. I just feel like I'm in an elevator now. (laughs) Oh, I felt like I was in 1998 and there's some R&B playing. You were feeling it? Yeah. You were feeling it? Well, it was, "Mm, Let me go out to the club. Uh, yeah. (laughs) I don't know if that was my 98. It was more like, let me (laughs) go to my friend's house and play video games. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of a club. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Club Nintendo 64. (laughs) Club Goldeneye. Club Goldeneye. Oh, no, a lot of people be, are in that club. That'd be a cool club. Mm-hmm. Actually, no, that'd be a terrible club. People would be <laughs> shooting at you. The world is about to explode. 
Sean Bean is here. Extremely stressful. <laughs> Everything's down to you for some reason. Oh, my God. Can't Why get no help. Me? Seriously. <laughs> I got to kill all y'all by myself. How many times James Bond is like, well, how did I end up being entirely <laughs> exactly. on my shoulders? I literally um, work for the biggest organization of spies in the world. Yeah. I'm here on my own. And you walk around being like, I ain't your dad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it'd be one thing to like, yeah, you're a spy. You got to go get intel, be all quiet sure, and discreet yeah. on your own. But here I am like assaulting the base of operations with 300 armed guards. So many. On my own. If I was James Bond, I would be very upset about my coworkers. Yeah. I'm like, M, where's the backup? Right? Are they all assaulting evil bases somewhere? Because if that's the case, y'all got to get better at stopping these things before <laughs> they too start. Many evil bases, clearly. <laughs> Simple law of supply and demand. Seriously. <laughs> well, you know, surprisingly, this is a great intro because we are in England. <laughs> hey, we are in England. So doesn't that work? That's so true. Yeah. Hi, everybody. Uh, I'm Eli. <laughs> I'm Diana. Yes, welcome to the show. Yes. Ridiculous Romance. We're here once again talking about some crazy couple of people. Crazy a, couple a or couple or yeah. more. Trio this time. Sometimes mm-hmm. yeah, we don't stop at two. And we're here to cover them all. Hell yeah. So thanks for tuning in. And welcome to 1782 London. Oh, jolly good. Smell the air. Maybe don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's pre-industrial revolution, so it probably smells great, right? Mm, well, I think horses. people threw like their shit in the streets. All right, all right. Horse shit. I mean, when did it I don't smell think it smelled best great. in history. Ooh, that's a hard question. To yeah, because I mean, Egyptians used a lot of perfume, but that just means you covered up your own stench There's with like nothing, a weird floral oh my God, smell. The worst is that's the smell of perfume over a bad smell. Right. That mix. Mm-hmm. Oh. And then again, lots of animals and livestock and sooty chimneys and. Uh-huh. I don't know. I feel like it probably, maybe now, might be the best smelling. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. I got us way off subject here. Yeah. Um, but the important thing is, this is a great story. Yeah. Uh, uh, y'all, I'm not going to apologize this time. It's a two-parter. <laughs> I know we just did one. We try not to do them, but this is a big story. And what's cool about this one, though, is that these are like, they're really two separate stories. Mm-hmm. They're just about kind of the same people. I think that's the sort of gist that I get. You're not going to get left on a cliffhanger here. We no. just have two really cool stories about some really wacky people. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's get going on this story. It is so great. We are in 1782 London. At that time, among the nobility, it wasn't unusual to get married just for monetary reasons, sure. right? I mean, we've seen Classic. that many times in history, yeah. right? Um, it's the foundation of the monarchy in a lot of ways. Basically, <laughs> and exactly. the aristocracy, yeah. Who's best for me and all the rest of us to uh-huh. maintain our wealth and power? But that's also why it was not very unusual for married lords and ladies to carry on adulterous affairs. Oh. Um, they were often tolerated by their spouses. But if an affair wasn't discreet, a humiliating scandal could ensue. Uh-oh. And nobody wanted that. So often, men would even raise their wives' illegitimate sons as a cover, basically. Oh. So no one would know what was really going on. Oh, okay. Yes, this is my little Jeffrey. Uh, he doesn't look anything like me. <laughs> he looks a lot like my neighbor. Hey, but don't worry about that. <laughs> we don't need to talk about that. <laughs> but if things went too far... No amount of scandal could keep a man from the courtroom. Uh Uh-oh. And Sir Richard Worsley thought that he had an ironclad case of adultery against his wife, Lady Seymour Worsley, and her lover, George Bissett. 
but he seriously underestimated the lengths that she was willing to go to get rid of Sir Richard. Oh, my. And it would result in one of the most scandalous adultery trials in the 18th century. So let's hear about criminal conversation trials and what amounts to the most expensive peep show in history. Yes, let's go. Hey there, friends, come listen well. Eli and Diana got some stories to tell. There's no matchmaking or romantic tips. It's just about ridiculous relationships. A lover might be any type of person at all. An abstract concept or a concrete wall. But if there's a story worth a second glance, we'll put it in a show ridiculous romance. A production of iHeartRadio. Sir Richard Worsley was only 21 years old in 1772 when he announced to a family friend, the historian Edward Gibbon, that he was going to get married within five months' time. Oh, wow. How determined. Yeah, he had a deadline and everything. Not like, I met someone and will be married soon, but just like, you know what? (laughs) Five months. It's about time. Yes. I don't want to turn 22 and still be single. (laughs) How embarrassing. (laughs) It's important to set goals for yourself. Attainable goals. Mm -hmm. Now, he had just returned to England from his grand tour, which was like this trip that very rich aristocratic men would take as part of their education. So they'd go to like college and get their book learning. Uh And then they would go to these actual countries and get immersion in the languages and the art and the architecture and the history of the continent. Okay. And they would also learn like gentlemanly arts, like fencing and dancing and all those kind becoming charming, you know what I mean? All those gentlemanly things. So they would go through Italy and France, and then they would usually take a trip over the Alpines on a donkey or something as like a test of nerve. So you could see that you could keep a stiff upper lip in bad circumstances. And then they would go home to dazzle England with their charm and competence. So literally, these guys went out and then came back and spent the next 20 years saying, well, on my study abroad. Oh, yes. I actually rode a donkey once. (laughs) Terrifying, but Uh, I was uh, stiff upper lip. Oh, you know. (laughs) It was nothing for me. You know, in my study abroad in Italy, I learned (laughs) that it's pronounced mozzarella. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah, you have a lot in common with. I can relate to (laughs) the English aristocracy (laughs) in at least one way. In one single way. (laughs) Study abroad alert. Now, Richard really liked art and architecture. He loved, like, Greek antiquities and statues and that kind of thing. Um, But he actually hadn't distinguished himself much in school. According to Hallie Rubenhold's biography, The Lady in Red, he was called... Dick Tardy in school. (laughs) (laughs) Dick Tardy? That's so good. (laughs) Dick Tardy. You know. Because he, quote, lagged so far behind. uh Yeah, yeah. A couple shots of tequila and I'm a little Dick Tardy too sometimes. (laughs) You know, it happens to everyone. Just a little Uh, late to the game. Normal circumstance of too much tequila. (laughs) (laughs) It shows up, okay? (laughs) Yeah, just a little tardy. (laughs) Everyone's over it by the time Everyone has already left. The party's over. (laughs) Amazing. Now you're here. Uh. Oh, Dick Tardy. (laughs) Every time with you. (laughs) Every time with you. All right, so anyway, Dick Tardy loved his Grand Tour because he loved art and architecture and all that. Uh But for him, the main thing about the Grand Tour was that he was able to reinvent himself. Okay. 
because his father was a guy who also had like a passion for education. In that way, they had a lot in common. But he was also an alcoholic and he really indulged himself Mm. all the time. Very dissipated kind of dude. And so Richard saw him as a bit of a buffoon. He was like, I don't want anyone to think of me like my dad. He really wanted to distinguish himself as a completely different kind of guy. So when he got home from his grand tour, he's like, I am a respectable, reliable, grown-ass man. And he figured a great way to prove that would be to get married. Settle down to the married state. Right. Okay, so in five months. Five months time. Five months after my study abroad, (laughs) I'll be getting married unlike my idiot father. (laughs) Okay. Who drinks too much. Now, Seymour Fleming was born in 1758. And Seymour lost two sisters and her father by the time she was five years old. So she and her older sister, Jane, were brought up by their mother. Both girls, totally comfortable heiresses. They had a lot of money coming their way already, what with their with the money their dad had left them. But then their mother remarried to an extremely wealthy man in his 70s. He's old. Very old guy, so there was more money on the way. Uh, soon. This, <laughs> Maybe right, soon. Yes. <laughs> this guy, side note, however, got his money from his sugar plantations in Barbados. So... Slavery. Yes, boo children, you're right. It's so funny to me just being American. Slavery is so much in our backyards. Yeah. Like literally lived alongside it. Yeah. And for a lot of British lords, it was very far away. Yeah. I mean, I think they still had some like black pages were like a fad apparently to have a little kid in your house, like run errands for you or something. But like a lot of slavery was just so far away from them. Yeah. That. Well, it was, maybe I wonder if it was even more theoretical in a way or something. It was like outsourced more or less, right? I yeah, mean, like as opposed to the like... plantations in mm-hmm. in America, where it was like the 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 rich guy who was making all the money owned the property and lived on the property where it was happening. Yeah. As opposed to like the Brits who were making money off slavery, it was like like you said, it's so distant. Somebody else is handling all the, yeah. the actual you know, horrible stuff they're doing to these people. I don't even have to see it. Yeah. I don't even have to look at it. Interesting. So I I always think about, I just think that's such an interesting distinction in how you saw the institution. Point being, the Flemings were hella stacked with money. The newspapers at the time were like super curious about the exact amount that each heiress could bring to a marriage. And they guessed that it was upwards of around 70,000 pounds, which adjusting for time means... 12.6 million pounds today, which is like over 15 million U.S. dollars. Yeah, that's a lot of money. Yeah. And I'll say, too, their mom did nothing to put paid to any of these rumors. Like, she was like, I won't tell you the real amount because it only helped their marriage chances. Right, the the speculation. Yeah, they were like, she's like, yeah, sure, keep adding to it. Right, (laughs) yeah. I'm getting more and more calls every day. Yeah, right, right. $15 $15 million would be nice. I mean, that seems like chump change to me because tomorrow, of course, we will have won the billion oh, dollar. Oh, of course, right. We'll 1. be like, 1. 1 billion. Yeah, it's going to be fine. 15 what? By the time y'all listen to this, <laughs> we'll be billionaires. Just, see, just a heads up. <laughs> now, Jane, the older sister, was known for being an epitome of virtue, impeccably behaved, perfect lady, beautiful and graceful. But Seymour was more headstrong willful. She was less pretty, but still good-looking. She was great on a horse, and she loved playing cards. <laughs> she could really, really hold her own. Yeah. <laughs> now, 
she was only 14 years old when the handsome young baronet Sir Richard Worsley came to stay with the express purpose of dating the older sister, Jane. Now, Richard was plenty rich on his own. He didn't really have to worry about this, but a rich, fashionable wife would help launch him into a higher society. And that is exactly what he was looking for. I think he felt like, like how in succession, the poorest rich man in the room. Right, Like, right. he was rich, but like he's like, I could be richer. Another 15 million <laughs> would really put me over the <laughs> edge here. really help me out. Richard had decided on a political career, and the higher social circles that he moved in, the more influence he would have in that career. Mm-hmm. So it made sense. But unfortunately, Jane was not interested. Uh-oh. She could tell he was really only attracted to her money and not herself, so she turned him down flat. Good for you, Jane. But apparently he persisted so much that, according to Rubenhold, she kind of had to get a little bit mean (laughs) with him. Oh, wow. So he's like, I got your letter, (laughs) you know, (laughs) saying no. How about we talk about it over dinner tonight? Sir Richard, you flatter me with your proposal. Uh You do. You really do. That's what I do. But I could never, ever, ever, in Uh any conceivable universe, Uh ever marry you. Right, okay. So please do turn your attentions away from me to someone else. Sure. I know you said something, but um, shall I pick you up at seven and we'll talk about it? But Seymour did flirt a little bit with him, and he flirted back. Oh, Of course, she's only 14, so it was like a real playful, like, okay, kid, yeah, sure, wink, wink. But a few years later, when Seymour was a lovely 17 years old and confident, and she'd been, she, you know, she had, she was a debutante. She'd already made her bows and everything. Nearly middle age at this point. (laughs) She's basically old. (laughs) She met him again at the York races, and they danced together all night. They were inseparable at the races the next day, and by the end of the week, they were engaged to be married. It's a big whirlwind courtship. And Gibbon wrote that he felt like his friend was compelled, quote, by love and 80,000 pounds. <laughs> In reality, Seymour brought more like 52,000 pounds to her marriage. Okay. Um, it's about 9.3 million pounds today. Okay, so 10 million bucks, a pittance. A p- nothing, basically nothing. Um, now, some of this money was set aside for her to re-inherit upon Sir Richard's death. It's called a widow's jointure. Okay. So that would ensure that she had something to support herself if he died. W- wait, if he dies, we'll give you a little bit of your own money back? Uh, yeah. Okay, okay. don't right. get me started on this shit. <laughs> <laughs> she gets a little bit back. Um, She was also legally entitled to a certain amount of her own spending money each year, which was called pin money. Oh, how progressive. Oh, yeah. And I love it's (laughs) called pin money. It's like, yes, go buy your little things that you need. (laughs) But it was never enough to, like, support a household, you know, or something like that. Yeah. And, yeah, so as you say, most of her wealth, the bulk of it, including quite a lot of property in the Isle of Wight, was under Sir Richard's control the minute they got married in September Mm. 1775. Okay. And thanks to all that rampant speculation about the size of her wealth, the couple became the toast of London. They were invited everywhere. They were moving in the highest circles of society. It was just like Sir Richard had hoped. Okay. And in the next couple of years, he joined various intellectual groups. He became a patron of the painter Joshua Reynolds. He even became the privy counselor for the king. 
which is basically the king's main accountant. Mm. And apparently he was extremely good at this. He earned a new nickname, Sir Finical Whimsy. <laughs> I guess it's a step up. <laughs> From you don't Dick want Tardy. the king. You don't want the you don't want the king saying, Oh, bring Dick Tardy in here. <laughs> <laughs> and he got paid a really good amount to do that job as well. Um, besides becoming friends with the Prince of Wales and other extremely highly connected and powerful nobles. Mm -hmm. So it's like everything's coming up, Sir Richard. It's looking real good for him to stand for election as a member of parliament for the Isle of Wight, where he owned all this land. Yeah, yeah. But all was not well between him and Seymour. Uh Uh-oh. And we will find out more about that right after these messages. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store, clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah. Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. 
Welcome back to the show, everyone. Good day. Now, Richard and Seymour's initial flame, that burned out fast. Uh, Seymour complained in a letter that Sir Richard, quote, kept her a virgin for three months after their wedding. And things didn't really heat up much in that arena at all. Mm -mm. She got pregnant and she gave birth to a son in 1776. But that meant that Sir Richard had done his duty. (laughs) And it seems that he basically ignored her after that. Mm -hmm. He traveled for his work and she partied at home. And for a couple of years, they seemed to lead completely separate lives. And she, she was pretty insulted by that, too, that yeah. he wouldn't touch her. She was like, what the fuck? She's like, I got to give you all my land. I got to give you all my money. If you straight up croak and die, I might get a little bit back. Mm-hmm. I got this tiny little allowance to go buy pins, whatever the fuck that means. <laughs> and I'm not even getting laid out of it. Mm-hmm. Come on. Yeah. Come the on. The least you could do is 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 bring Dick Tardy over here <laughs> and try and show me a good His time. Dick stayed tardy because it didn't even show up. <laughs> right. Dick Absent. Dick Absent. That's what she should have called, called him. She should have called him that. Dick Absent. <laughs> but all this seems understandably to have brought out kind of a rebellious side in Seymour. Like maybe she just wanted to grab her husband's attention. Mm-hmm. She started playing all these outrageous pranks. One holiday at her family home, Harewood Hall, the Flemings held a New Year's Eve masquerade ball, and they threw open every door of their house for people to go in and out as they wished, including the private bedrooms. Sounds like a very exciting party. All right. Masquerades already pretty welcomed some dissolute behavior because everyone's in a mask. mask. You can do whatever you want. So yeah, they would, you know, they would like fondle each other and, you know, they'd get into it. Uh They'd get into it in a Uh different way. So then to add, like, go into my bedroom and look through my shit is such a weird addition (laughs) to an already (laughs) wild party. It was like the purge for them. Like, this is the one, (laughs) we're so stodgy and stuck Mm -hmm. up most of the year. Oh, we have a one masquerade night where we can just fondle each other and enter each other's bedrooms. <laughs> so they're at this masquerade ball and Seymour and a couple of friends of hers took advantage of this open door policy and they went into the gentlemen's bedrooms. They went through all their stuff and according to the papers of the time, get this, they quote, threw the gentlemen's clothes out of the windows, particularly their breeches, thinking them... Unnecessary. Oh. <laughs> yeah, they wanted all these dudes to Donald Duck it. <laughs> She's like, you won't be needing these anymore, Richard, and threw his <laughs> pants out the window. So in <laughs> retaliation, one of the men went to Seymour's room and, quote, took all her caps and bandboxes and hung them in a tree in the park where they remained all night. <laughs> Scandalous. This is what, oh. The Wild stuff. Delta Sigma Kappa would never. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, this crazy story spread like wildfire, and it was considered very sordid behavior. Mm. It even endangered Jane's engagement to the Earl of Harrington. Can you imagine going over to the Earl of Harrington's house and his mom being like, I don't know, your sister threw some clothes out a window, so I just don't know if it's going to work out. Like, <laughs> she's like, what the fuck's that got to do with me? Right. Remember, I'm the perfect one. But no matter what pranks Seymour played, no matter what debts she ran up, 
Sir Richard just laughed it off and paid them because he thought he was untouchable, just Mm -hmm. above any scandal. He was doing so well. He was the talk of the town. No one was going to talk shit about Richard. True. So, yeah, maybe she was trying to get his attention or maybe she was kind of trying to punish him by being like, I'll embarrass you or cost you money or something. You'll have to think of me sometimes. Right. Just come have sex with me and this all goes away. I'll be real quiet. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, I'd rather pay. Rather die. (laughs) Out of pocket for all your scandals. Wow. So in 1780, Sir Richard finally stood for election as MP. You know, his the pinnacle of his dreams. And Ruinhold goes into some detail about how corrupt politics were at this time. Mm -hmm. All right. So it's not like he's winning the hearts of the people. Most MPs just spread their money around to buy votes or they would strong arm people into voting for them. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of landowners, too, could basically force their tenants to vote however they wanted them to. Oh, geez. So if you had property, if you had tenants, people running for MP were like, tell them, you know, tell them to vote for me, whatever. And Richard was no different. He bribed election officials to deprive his opponent of poll books. Uh, He bought votes, plenty of votes. And he threw lavish parties for his supporters. But he also made friends with his 23-year-old neighbor, a landowner named Maurice George Bissett. George, as he preferred to be called, could influence his tenants in Sir Richard's favor, so he was an important friend to have. But no one liked him more than Seymour. By September of that year, she and George were having a passionate affair. Sir Richard won his election, and he gave George a captain's commission in his South Hampshire militia as a thank you for his help. Good job, George. Look at you, moving up in the world. Yeah. But Sir Richard also had another motive for that, because all the militias were actually being called into action. France had just joined the Americans in their war for independence. Oh, those awful Yanks. Oh, those colonists. The Yanks and the Franks teaming up. (laughs) So Britain was really concerned that their neighbors might strike on home soil. And so all the militias were put on high alert. And Richard really wanted to have a friend with him during all these boring drills and troop movements Mm -hmm. that he was about to be going through. Yeah. And George, for his part, was very glad to go with Sir Richard because Seymour, of course, would go with her husband, and she happened to be expecting her and George's child. Oh, no. Now, Sir Richard didn't seem to care about this. Not at all. He rented a house nearby the militia encampment for them to live in, and he insisted that George take a set of rooms in it for himself. Mm. little in-law suite for George. (laughs) Exactly. He also decided to hire an entire new team of domestic servants to wait on them instead of bringing a handful of, you know, like trusted servants from their main home that they were used to, as most aristocrats did. So I imagine Carson was furious. Oh. <laughs> my lord. All new staff. It's not for me to tell you how to set up your household, my lord. <laughs> but I will say I'd <laughs> rather be shot in the head than hear something like this. I love it. Now. When they moved to camp again a few months later, all those new servants he hired were dismissed, and then a whole new staff was hired again. Mm. So it's a lot of cleaning house, getting fresh eyes in there. We don't want anybody here long enough to figure out what's going on. Yeah. So he was really taking a lot of pains to keep this little threesome a secret. That's right. When Bissette and Seymour's daughter, Jane, named after her older sister, I'm mm-hmm. assuming, was born in 1781, 
Sir Richard even claimed this girl as his own to cover up, of course, the true nature of their relationship. Again, not uncommon at this time, totally normal. Lots of men accept their wives, lovers, children as legitimate so that there wouldn't be a big scandal. Mm -hmm. Again, yes, I know he looks a lot like George, <laughs> but that's just because George is such an admirable fellow. Yes, he's looking he's up to him. Copying him in every way, including <laughs> his hair, nose, and lips. Yes. <laughs> The other thing is that it had been five years since the birth of Richard and Seymour's own son. So having another child come along would quiet any whispers about, you know, the state of their marriage. Right. And how uh, how Dick Tardy he'd been to her. <laughs> <laughs> so Rubenhold <laughs> writes that, quote, the arrival of George Bissett in both of their lives heralded a sudden reinvigoration of Worsley's interest in his wife. Far from being ignorant of Seymour's affair, her husband openly encouraged it. The possibility that Sir Richard harbored homosexual longings for Bissett cannot be discounted. The eagerness with which the baronet pulled his neighbor into his life, the intensity and regularity of their companionship, is behavior unmatched in any of Worsley's other friendships. Mm. So possibly they were roommates. Uh, <laughs> or it might have been unrequited. Like right, George right, right, wasn't right, right. interested, but Richard was. And it's not likely he would have admitted to this because sodomy and homosexuality were illegal at the time and punishable with the death penalty. Right, yeah. Can I, can I get a boo? Thank you. Pretty fucked Unlikely that a lord would get the death penalty for it. He'd right. probably just go to prison or yeah. something. But still, like, it was like the worst thing that could happen to you. Yeah. So nobody wanted to talk about it. But there's another aspect to this that we must consider. Hmm. And that's the fact that Sir Richard was something of a voyeur. Oh. Back when he was on his grand tour in the early 1770s, Sir Richard had stayed in a house in Paris, right across the street from a brothel. Okay. And he's around 18 or 19. Hard to not do in Paris. <laughs> There's so many. In the many. early it's 1770s, especially. <laughs> and they were just regular houses, so right. how would yeah. you know? How would you know? <laughs> I thought it just a lot of ladies lived there together. Uh-huh. Roommates. Well, I'm in France. <laughs> There's lots of roommates coming and going in every <laughs> coming house. And going and coming and coming. Oh, my goodness. Now, he's like 18 or 19 at the time. He could see right through their windows. Oh my so goodness. he's totally spying on them. Um, and they notice and, of course, start beckoning him to come join them. Oh, of and course. Probably like flashing their titties. Uh, yeah, and... If someone's peeping in through your window while you're having sex, the logical thing to do is to beckon them to join you. <laughs> well, or if they're just prostitutes, they're like, oh, right, a customer. Yeah. Yes. I know, right? Hey, buddy, uh -huh. that'll be 10 shillings, okay, please. Okay, you don't look for free. This ain't no peep show. <laughs> he's like, damn, <laughs> that's what I like. Uh -huh. Well, finally, one night he's like, "All right, I'm doing it. I'm a grow. I'm grown. I'm gonna go get laid tonight." I'm a big boy. I'm a big boy, and I'm gonna get laid. But the landlady of this boarding house that he's staying at had gotten wind of his plan. Oh yeah. So she stopped him on the staircase, and she was like, "I heard you're trying to go across the street. Let me tell you." That brothel has a very bad reputation, oh. and you should not go over there. No and shit. I'm assuming since she's French, she was like, I have a list of some respectable <laughs> organizations that you can go check out. Right. But this one, no, no, no. One star. It's like one of those Airbnb binders up <laughs> yes. front. It's like, check out some local brothels in the area. <laughs> <laughs> totally. She's like, I've got really good recommendations for you, uh -huh. but this one I cannot say you should go to. <laughs> 
So Richard's like, fine, I won't go. And as he recorded in his journal the next day, that was a lucky escape because a guy was murdered that night. Oh, no. In the brothel. And Richard saw the victim from his window the next morning as he wrote, quote, naked and stripped of all he had been possessed of. Wow. So this experience really made him very cautious of women. Uh-huh. And of, like, he really couldn't shake the fact that he could have been murdered if he had just, yeah. you know, the timing was crazy. He yeah. felt insane. So it was, like, really took hold in his mind. And Rubenhold writes that, quote, The experience persuaded him in part that the sexual act was best enjoyed when observed from afar. Oh, okay. So no one can stab you in the back if you're in the other room. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's a healthy attitude about sex. <laughs> so good. <laughs> So Richard became partial to peeping. Mm. And that was considered fairly normal sexual kink to have. In okay. his time, it was called keeking. 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 K-E-E. K-I-N-G. Keeking. Keeking. Okay. You keeking, Tom. I don't know why it was called keeking. <laughs> it's like peeking, but it's kinky. <laughs> there. That's probably it. Yeah. <laughs> but he also got into a kink called Candolism. Oh. Now, this was named after the ancient king, Candoles, who exposed his naked wife to his servant, Gyges. And after the wife found the servant spying on her, she told him, look, you can either kill yourself or you can kill my husband to restore my honor. Okay. And so Gyges was like, let me think real quick. And he <laughs> killed the king. <laughs> and he became the king instead. Okay. Um, so candlism is a kink where you get sexual pleasure out of exposing your partner to or images of your partner to other people. Oh, and that can include undressing them in front of other people. That can include putting their personal photos, their nudes up on the Internet oh, or distributing no. them around to people. Okay. It can even include encouraging your partner to wear revealing clothing when you go out, like okay. a really short skirt or like uh -huh. something that shows her titties or something. I want even people that, to see what I'm I want them to be jealous yeah, yeah, of yeah. my thing that okay. I own. Okay. It's kind of that kind of vibe. And with all, as with all kinks, if mm -hmm. there's consent here, you know. It, that's one thing. That's one thing, yeah. That's one thing. If you're thing. putting pictures up of someone on the internet without them knowing about it, that's another thing. Exactly. Pretty fucked up. Yeah. Pretty fucked up. Yeah. One psychoanalyst, Isidore Sadger, theorized that a candleist completely identifies with their partner's body so okay. that deep in their mind, they feel like they're exposing themselves. Okay. Which I'm like, okay, sounds that very... sounds very convenient. Uh-huh. Because you don't actually have to expose yourself at all. <laughs> well, it sounds like something a psychiatrist would say to me. But, true. Um, it, probably true of some. Yeah, I'd sure, argue sure, it's sure. not a blanket. And I do wonder if part of the kink is the person not knowing or or I imagine it could be if, for if some consent is or is not there if that adds or takes away to from it. I don't right, know. Right. That's not part of the uh breakdown I read. But... Like if I go out with you and you're looking hot mm -hmm. and I see somebody check you out. Uh-huh. That's that's kind of cool to me. Makes I'm like good. I don't feel jealous. I'm like, "Hell yeah." That's right. That's right. She looks hot. <laughs> I thought so, too. Uh -huh. Guess what? I married her. Uh-huh. I'm going home with her. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. You know, so that's cool. And whether or not you see, you won't see that because you're oblivious to anyone being interested in you ever, <laughs> always. That's, um, right. <laughs> <laughs> that's very true. I'm like, that guy was so nice. And you're always like, he was hitting he on was you. He was hitting on you, like, yeah. no. We were just having a really fun conversation that ended as soon as he found out I was married. I don't think I had anything to do with anything. <laughs> oh, yeah. That guy suddenly got very interested <laughs> in nonprofit theater. 
<laughs> Sometimes they are. Sometimes they totally are. <laughs> not not often. <laughs> You're probably right. Daddy, I don't know where how we got on that. I don't either. But anyway, the term candleism didn't exist until the 1880s. Okay. So it's not like they had an understanding of that kink at this right, time for right. Sir Richard. They just were like, keekin', you like to peek on people or whatever. Okay. But if you exposed your wife to other people, you were like the weirdest, most perverted. Like that was okay. beyond gotcha. anything. Because you, you know, you're supposed to respect your wife and uh-huh. cherish her and all that. So you're not supposed to show her off like gotcha. that. That's, that's gotcha. weird. Now, we know that Sir Richard was into this because after Seymour had recovered from her childbirth, the three of them, Richard, Seymour, and George, uh, decided to visit the cold baths at Maidstone on a hot day. Now, public bathhouses were separated by gender, so Richard and George Bissett took a dip in the men's side, of course, while Seymour refreshed herself on the women's side. But as she got out of the pool, she heard Richard calling through from the other side of the door to tell her, quote, Uh, Seymour, Bissett is going to get up and look at you. And then she saw George's face through the window above the door. Richard was holding George up on his shoulders to help him look in at his naked wife. And he held him there for five minutes while Seymour, totally into this, openly displayed herself. And she did this like sexy reverse strip tease and she as she put all her clothes back on. So she rolled she her like, stockings up real slow and that type of thing. She's doing this little dance and she's like, and now I clasp the bra. Oh, oh, George my. is like, mm. Yes. Can't wait to unclasp it later. <laughs> she's like, I liked what I saw and now I like it less. <laughs> I guess I'm not sure exactly how it works. I like it less. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> But anyway, afterwards, they all got together and they laughed about it like we are now. Cute. It's funny. Oh, that was so interesting. Thank you, Mm -hmm. Richard. Are your shoulders okay? I know, right? He's like, I don't care. Dick's not tardy right now. So (laughs) we're having a good time. It was just like a fun bonding moment for this little triangle. Yeah, totally. Rubenhold wrote about it, quote, It was a collection of minutes which Sir Richard would view in his mind repeatedly. The color of the details would fail to degrade with the years. He would recall it vividly. The words that were spoken, the weight of George beset on his shoulders, the heady recklessness of it. Over the next few months, he would remember the afternoon with fondness. After that, he would rue it as the most regrettable day of his life. And we will find out why that is right after this commercial break. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! 
Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from the Washington Post wherever you listen. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Welcome back to the show, my little keeksters. Ooh, <laughs> y'all nasty. All right, now it seems like this little menage a trois was getting along famously. Yeah. I mean, they're doing little peep shows and having a good old time uh-huh. together. But then the militia had to move again for the winter, mm-hmm. and Seymour and Richard had to get a smaller house so George couldn't live with them anymore. Oh no, no in-law suite. No in-law suite. That was in my that was in my must-haves on my <laughs> dream house list. <laughs> with a separate entrance. Very important, and a window between the two bedrooms. (laughs) (laughs) So George and Seymour could not bear to be apart. Yeah. And they were really super in love, so they started talking about maybe eloping together. So they could maybe force Richard to give Seymour a divorce, and they could finally get married and be happy forever. Okay, so it's kind of like, I mean, we're in the middle of season one right now of The Great. That's right. And it feels like... um, What's the couple who's sleeping with the emperor? Yes. You know, and the husband is just like, well, th- we just have to do this so we can have our thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it just reminds me of that. Yeah. They're like, we're hanging out with Richard. Yes, he's he's mm-hmm. he's there. He likes this little threesome thing we have going on. But if we could have it our way, it would be different. get rid of him and it'd just be us. Mm-hmm. OK. Yeah. Now, wives could not apply for a divorce. They were not allowed. Only a husband could do it. 
But eloping was super risky because a husband could also sue for separation oh instead of a divorce. And that was basically purgatory for a woman Damn. because she was no longer respectably married. She was cut off from her financial support of, you know, her husband. Uh-huh. But she was also not free to remarry. Oh, man. A chained, chained woman. A chained woman. Exactly. Like in our, our, that episode. Okay. That's right. One woman that Seymour knew about, she had thrown over her husband for a lover they ran off together hoping for a divorce, but the husband got vindictive. He's like, I'm only giving you a separation. And she ended up having to flee to the continent, and everyone talked about her like she was nothing more than a street prostitute. Like, mm. that she she had everything, and then she had nothing. Wow. You know? So Seymour would know that that is a possible consequence right, of right. this. Meanwhile, on George's part, he's not only a social inferior to Richard, but also a military inferior. Oh, wow. And on top of all that, a very close friend. Yeah. Everyone knew they were really good friends. Right. So like running away with your friend's wife was the lowest of the low for a gentleman. I think people still feel that way, really. Oh, Um, yeah. Bros before ladies. uh, That's right. Watch your fucking mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Fries before guys. What? It's not as good. Fries before guys. But it's not as good because it's not about like lady friendship. It's just about eating french fries. It's just fries. It's literally it's just fries. Like, yeah, fries. Eat fries before going out on with dates. So, like, guys. two girls get together and eat French fries before they worry about hanging out with some hanging dude. out with some dude. I mean, yeah, French fries are objectively better. All right, they never disappoint. I'm on board. Oh, ra- well, uh, they okay, challenge to that. <laughs> it's very easy for a French fry to disappoint you. I know, but they rarely do. It cannot be hot enough. It cannot be salty enough. It could be too thick. It could be too thin. They could be too crunchy. They could be too soft. They could just be crinkle cut, you know. Actually, I like crinkle cut. I was about anyway. to say, now don't talk shit about crinkle cut. All right. Cut. <laughs> all Look, right all I'm right. just saying. You had all that French fries and <laughs> men are equal in terms of their potential disappointment. <laughs> okay. And it's high. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. But you can throw the fries in the trash. Okay. That's and they don't true. follow you home. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no. So anyway, this was just considered like a gross betrayal of male friendship. Right, and right. the only way to go lower was to be the guy's brother instead of his friend. You know wow, what I mean? Okay, and sleep yeah. with his wife. They were like, that was basically the most heinous thing you could do. Hermano. Hermano. <laughs> Mon frere. Don't know how I know that. It took four years of Spanish. <laughs> we love Arrested Development in this house. We do love Arrested Development. Well, you know, and of course, Will and Jason, friends of the show. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right. You're yeah. right. Absolutely. <laughs> we got to get them on. I mean, I would love that. We got to get the smartless guys on this show. If, y'all, if anybody's got their uh, contact info. Yeah. Uh, we should know because they're our friends. They are. I know. But, you know. We never get the phone number. It's awkward to reach out about work to your friends and stuff. <laughs> I don't like to. I see. So, yeah, George would be risking his reputation, his social status, his good name as much as Seymour would. Yeah. And he also had a financial scare in the wings just as much as she did, too, because Richard could bring a lawsuit against George for adultery. Damn. This was known as a criminal conversation or a crim-con suit. And if you're like me and you read a lot of those Regency romance novels, Uh you've seen crim-con and have no fucking idea what they're talking about. (laughs) And so I I thought this was a real revelation for me. I got excited. Um, And now conversation at the time was a euphemism for sex. So it's basically criminal sex. Sex crimes. Crim, criminal conversation. Crim, crim con. con. That is way different than what I thought crim con was, which sounded like, you know, uh, comic con for mm, criminals. Crim con. Oh, Or maybe true. it's just the ridiculous crime 
podcast. It's like just <laughs> the there, fans showing up at CrimCon. I love it. I feel yeah. like we should do a crossover with a criminal conversation with them. We definitely should. Fun. And if you had CrimCon and it was just a ridiculous crime episode convention, it would be a CrimCon, which means we could do a ridiculous romance episode about it. Right. Which would be so insane that ridiculous news would have to cover oh, it. Oh my God. And afterwards, ridiculous, it's it would, ridiculous history. Yeah. As long as it Look, happens before 1992. <laughs> <laughs> we'll come back in time. Look, all I'm saying is Ridicucon is in the works. Ridicucon, there might be some CrimCon at Ridicucon. You never go. know when there's a hotel involved. Uh oh. All right. So anyway, they each had a lot of factors to consider and huge consequences that could come down from this decision. But even so, George and Seymour decided they would take their chances Mm. and elope. Okay. Maybe since Richard had just been so tolerant of their affair so far, they were kind of like, surely he'll be like, fine, sure, have the divorce. He's a friend. He's not fucking you anyway. That's exactly. So what what are you trying to preserve here, Richard? Come on. Who cares? They figured that, you know, maybe he'd be generous enough to just give her her the divorce without a fight. Yeah, they're friends. It's fine. Yeah. Well, they would be wrong. Uh Uh-oh. Seymour and George eloped one night when Richard decided not to go to a party that they were both at. Now, George had done a little planning and he packed a bag, but Seymour basically had to leave with the clothes on her back and nothing else. Because mm-hmm. it would have looked weird if she was packing a bag before to to she went to this party. party with George. Yeah. They shacked up at a hotel and they passed as man and wife, although the maids were suspicious when they had to change the sheets three times in one day because they were doing it so much. What? One of them said, quote, there appeared to be a greater fondness between them than is generally seen between husband and wife. <laughs> this cabbie from London <laughs> changing the sheets. It's one of the maids. She's like, uh-uh, I know husbands and wives, and they don't fuck that much. They do not. Now, also, it doesn't matter, but her name was Hannah Commander, and I just think Hannah that's Commander? such a dope name. <laughs> Hannah Commander is my favorite name in our whole show so <laughs> Hannah far. Commander is so good. Uh, incredible. <laughs> my name's Hannah Commander, it is. <laughs> and I've never seen a husband and wife do it this much. <laughs> and then I know husbands and wives. <laughs> you want to know how much husband and wife is having sex? You just come see old Hannah Commander. <laughs> Hannah Commander. <laughs> Amazing. Well, from this hotel... Seymour sent her husband a letter and asked him for a divorce. Richard gets this letter and he is pissed about this elopement. And he was determined to be as cruel as possible in exacting his revenge. Mm -hmm. For George, that meant a crimcon suit and not just any crimcon suit. Richard said, I'm bringing a crimcon suit so large. It's going to make your head spin. You're going to be drowning in my lawyers. Mm-hmm. You're going to be uh, just pooping your pants. Oh, shit. With how big this crimcon suit is going to be. It would utterly ruin George. He set his damages at 20,000 pounds. And that meant if he won, George would have to sell all of his land, any property, any assets that he had. And then he would probably still end up in debtor's prison. Yeah, because George made like 800 pounds a year or something. But it didn't matter. The guy got to set what he thought the damages of his property were. Sure. And you had to pay that shit no matter what. Yeah. If if he won his case. And as an added perk, 
Richard could then buy George's land, and that would make him the biggest landowner in the Isle of Wight. Ooh. Now for Seymour, Richard was determined that this woman was never going to be happy or comfortable again. So instead of granting her the divorce, he decided to sue for separation. Mm -hmm. He was hoping to drive her into prostitution to keep herself afloat. He also decided that he wasn't going to send her any of her clothes or her jewelry or anything like that as further punishment. So Seymour hid at this hotel for several days without even a change of underwear. Mm. On top of all that, George and Seymour's daughter Jane was still under Richard's control. And of course, he refused to let Seymour see her. And Seymour was really anxious about what he might do to her. And in this, she might have been justified because Jane did die sometime that year. And Seymour and George thought that Richard might have had something to do with it, but they couldn't really investigate because they would then have to admit to Jane's actual father. Yep. And that would just help Richard win his adultery case against George. Now, Richard couldn't really give it away either because that would make him look complacent. So to this day, no one knows where Jane is buried. Dark. That is dark This shit. guy went nuts. He did. I and mean, apparently so he like crazy. burned a lot of her shit. It's not oh outside the realm of possibility that he killed that kid. And it's just that intense, like, I, I mean, toxic masculinity, I guess. Mm -hmm. It's this sense of ownership. How dare you try to take what belongs to me? Like, he didn't even care about her. He no. didn't love her. He didn't like having sex with her. Nothing about their marriage mm -hmm. as, as, a, as a unit was important to him except I control you. You don't come to me and say what you want. Yep. I tell you what you get. Yep. I was letting you fuck this guy. Mm -hmm. Y'all were having fun. We were all having a good time. How dare you try to cut me out of that? Well, and... On top of that, uh -huh. George is his social inferior. Right. You don't get to run off with my wife. Uh -huh. Like, you know, it's uh -huh. also so much about appearances for him yeah, sure. in terms of not only masculinity, but class and aristocratic stuff and mm -hmm. all of that and military. Th like, he just felt so slighted yeah. by this upstart little nothing coming right, from right. out of nowhere and taking his wife away. Yeah. So it was like his pride just took such a blow. He could yeah. not handle it. But Seymour wasn't about to lay back and take all this crap from Richard, okay? She was willing to fight for her lover and her freedom. Hell yeah. Now, Richard did offer to take her back, and he would drop his suit, and all this would go away. But she said she suffered so many, quote, slights and inattentions from him that she could never bring herself to return to him. There you go. Stand up for yourself. That's right. And she also warned him that she had, quote, resolved to go to all lengths to circumvent his designs. Damn, she threw down the gauntlet. She said, bring it. That's right. She said she would countersue him for her pin money that she was legally entitled to and he uh -huh. had not yet paid. Uh -huh. Where's my pin money? Give me my shit. And furthermore, she was willing to see to it, quote, that he was exposed and made the object of universal condemnation. Damn. She said, how dare you okay. step to me? Uh-huh. Oh, you think you're big shit? That's I'll right. show you big shit. I'm a shit on your face. Oh, damn. <laughs> damn. Look, she's going for it. She's pissed. Seymour went far. She is pissed. 
<laughs> but either Richard did not believe how far she was willing to go or he was too mad to care because he did not back down. Mm. His lawyers enlisted several of the hotel servants, chiefly Hannah Commander, oh. to help them prove that she and George were living there, pretending to be husband and wife, sleeping in the same bed. You just call Hannah Commander That's if you need a witness. <laughs> she was ready to do it, too. And the suit was duly filed. And in February 1782, Sir Richard and George Bissett arrived at the courtroom. It was packed. Oh, damn. Crimcon suits meant that a lot of fancy rich people's dirty laundry was going to get aired out. (laughs) Lots of drama. So all the Judge Judy fans in the area were there ready to be entertained. Right. But Seymour was not present. Because her, she was considered superfluous to the conversation. Oh, my God. She was just property in the eyes of the law. And as Reuben Hold points out, quote, no one asked a horse how it felt to be stolen. Damn. Isn't that crazy? Wow. So we don't need to hear from you, girl. Wow. <laughs> now, Richard's wealth, of course, enabled him to hire the best lawyers that money could buy. And after they made their case against George, he was feeling pretty good. Even George's lawyer said that he deserved a favorable verdict. The only real question was how much the damages should be. Richard probably had a big, smug, stupid smile on his face there for a minute. But guess what? That smile got wiped clean off pretty fast once he realized just how far Seymour was willing to go for George. Because the lawyer started saying some uncomfortable stuff. Uh, why haven't Richard's lawyers mentioned that George had been living in the Worsley's house in Maidstone at Richard's invitation? Ooh, really? He clearly wasn't telling everyone the full story. And then George's lawyers started calling witnesses. And some of them talked about how they were friends with the couple and they never saw them together. Seymour had even asked Richard to join her on an outing several times, and he had refused. Mm. Some talked about how they had told Richard to curb his wife's promiscuous behavior, but he always said he didn't mind it. Mm. And some of them talked about their own love affairs with Seymour. One of them, Viscount Deerhurst, was an explosive witness. He was known as the Lothario of his age. And he was estranged from his family for eloping with a woman himself. So he knew this this game. Yeah, he knew it. And he said that he stayed at the couple's house once. And Richard actually encouraged him to go after Seymour. He told the court that Richard said, quote, Many young men had tried her to no effect and that I had his permission to try my chance with her. I, you know, and the judge was like, what, Richard? And, at, you know, at the time when he said it, Deerhurst kind of took it as a joke. Yeah. But he did start sleeping with Seymour oh, while shit. he was staying with them. I mean, if you say so. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll try my chance, I'll I guess. I'll shoot my shot. Oh, it was incredibly easy. <laughs> <laughs> this girl is sex-starved. She was ready to say yes. <laughs> she kept talking about Dick Toddy. <laughs> is that you? <laughs> So one night, Deerhurst left Seymour's room at four in the morning, and he basically tripped over Richard (laughs) in Seymour's dressing room. Oh. And as he told the court, all Richard said was, quote, Deerhurst, how did you come to be here? (laughs) As if it wasn't totally obvious why he's, I'm, like, he probably had his shoes in his hands, you know, he's like tiptoeing. 
And Rich is like, oh, what a coincidence. We're both in my lady's dressing room. Yeah, Deerhurst is like, but you told me. You said that I should try my chance. You know what? I'm just going to go. <laughs> now, Rubenhold also points out that this testimony suggests that our voyeur Richard had been deliberately spying on the two of them together, oh. maybe without their knowledge. She writes, quote, the keyhole would have provided a luscious eyeful of the illicit activity. That's his thing. So that might be why he was in the dressing room in the first place. Yeah, he's a real George McFly. (laughs) Oh, yeah, he is. I know, right? (laughs) Now, the next day, he acted like the incident had never happened. Mm. Um, He allowed Seymour and Deerhurst to be alone together and go out together. He did not reprimand him. He did not ask him to leave. Nothing that you would think a husband would do Uh in that situation. And it kind of gave Deerhurst a real dislike of Sir Richard and a deep sympathy for Seymour. Yeah. I think he's like, don't you care about her at all? Like, you don't care at all. And then also you were weirdly in her dressing room. What the fuck's going on with this guy? Uh After their love affair cooled down, he remained a really true friend to her. I mean, besides being willing to testify publicly in front of God and everybody about his own bad behavior— that didn't make him look very good. He actually also helped her and George elope together. He was oh, like wow. their go-between okay. um, while they were in the hotel hiding from mm-hmm. Sir Richard. But he was not her only lover. And she had several who she wrote to and asked to testify, although they did not show up okay. like Deerhurst had. Okay. Uh, one was a womanizer and a gambler named Charles Wyndham. She liked him so much that she gave him her wedding band as what? a token of her affection when he, like, went off to war. Oh, my God. Uh, a respectable lieutenant had a brief fling with her at some point, and then he fell in love and got married. So he didn't want to testify because he had, like, a whole life Oh, yeah, sure, sure, He's sure, like, sure. I'm not going to that. She had another lover who was a notorious womanizer named Lord Chumley, and she liked him so much that she'd get depressed when he was away, and Sir Richard would send for him to come cheer her up. Oh, my God. Oh, my wife, are you sad to get here? Lord Chumley, come here. (laughs) Cheer my wife up. I can't stand her. (laughs) (laughs) Dear Lord Chumley, it's your friend Sir Richard again calling to see if you could bring that giant dick over (laughs) to make my wife feel better. Yours yours very sincerely. (laughs) Now, Chumley was so notorious a philanderer that he actually had a four-page poem dedicated to him in a pamphlet. It was called... The Torpedo, a poem to the electric eel. Uh oh. So let's go down to Poetry Corner and hear a quick excerpt. What thou, Lord Chumley, may conceal a most enormous length of eel. Admired for its size and bone, this mighty thing, when lank depressed, a mere noun adjective at best, is useless when alone. Wow. <laughs> Can you imagine a four-page poem being published that's just speculating on how big your dick must be to get all these ladies? Yeah. I No, I can't. I can't. I'm not sure I'd be complimented, but I'm not a man, so I don't know. I don't know what poems have been written about me, and I don't know their subject matter. I feel like there might have been one or two in my day. I hope. Um, I'll write you a poem right now. I'll think of one. Okay. We'll do it at the end of the episode. Oh, no, that's not what I meant. Which is coming up. (laughs) So Seymour even wrote to her doctor and asked him to testify at the trial about everything he knew about her. So 
this doctor shows up and he told them that she had called him to treat a sexually transmitted infection that she'd picked up from another lover, the Marquess of Graham. And it was probably gonorrhea. Um, but this was pretty damning because Richard didn't have gonorrhea. Nope. He never caught it from her, which demonstrated to the judge, the jury, and the rest of the world that Richard was not fulfilling his conjugal duties. Mm-hmm. The star witness for the defense were sworn affidavits from some old servant lady. She worked at a public baths in Maidstone, and she had seen Richard hoist George up on his shoulders so he could have a little peep at Richard's naked wife. So she described the entire spectacle to George's lawyers, and they walk in and they lay it down, and they're like, boom. Here's what's going on between the three of them. Why the hell is Richard so pissed off Uh when he'd been encouraging this behavior the whole time? He was into it, ladies and gentlemen. Now, the papers took their reporting to extremes on this whole thing. Of course. What, the papers? What? What? Never. A sex scandal and they inflated it? (laughs) No way. So unusual. (laughs) So, because it's it's often said that Seymour is known for having 27 lovers right, in her right. life. This is right? what the movie 27 Dresses was about. That's right. <laughs> One dress for each man. <laughs> no, My but- friend, can I, I, actually, I'm sorry. This is totally unrelated. But every time I hear the title 27 Dresses, uh-huh. my fav- the best joke I've ever heard is my friend Jeff had a birthday party. Mm-hmm. He was turning 27. And the invitation went out. And it said, 27 Jeff is. Oh, and it's that my is favorite. Thing. I laughed so hard when I got that. That's hilarious. Jeff, if you're listening, it's still one of my favorite jokes of all time. <laughs> they got a message him. Jeff is. 27 Jeff is. <laughs> I was like, this is so Well, good. if you're 26 and named Jeff. Do it. Keep that in mind. Keep that one in your back pocket. Do it, but give credit. Give credit where, where credit due. is due. Another Jeff <laughs> out there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So... What happened was, is 27 men had been subpoenaed at Seymour's direct request. Okay. So that's why they kind of were like, oh, she has 27 lovers. We're going with it. She subpoenaed her 27 lovers. Yeah, got it. And obviously that isn't great math, all right? Because we already said one of them was her doctor, not her lover. Right. Um, Several were anti-character witnesses. They were just there to prove that her husband was always not, never around Uh and was careless with her. Um, So some of these papers... Just added names however they wanted. You know, they just didn't care about truth or Uh whatever. They went as high as 60 lovers. Oh, my God. Some were a little more conservative. They said only 11. (laughs) (laughs) Were they just making up? They were like, the Duke of Earl was one of them. Uh, (laughs) Richard III. (laughs) Henry VIII. (laughs) Yeah. William Shakespeare. (laughs) Now, Rubenhold mentions about five confirmed names that we were talking about on this episode. So we don't really actually know her real body count or anything like that. But in the eyes of the world, Seymour was now an insatiable sex maniac capable of any aberration, you know, because she had let all these lovers come around, just tell her business Uh to everybody. uh But Richard didn't fare much better. Yeah. He was now seen as an impotent cuckold. And worse than that, a depraved weirdo who would display his wife to other men. Mm Mm-hmm. The judge saw him as no better than a pimp. He said, quote, This woman, for three or four years, has been prostituted with a variety of people. That is extremely clear and extremely plain. Wow. 
Now, Richard had set his damages, again, at 20,000 pounds. Mm-hmm. That's around 3.7 million pounds today. Because uh-huh. he was like, I'm a big man, and look how terrible uh-huh. they treated me, and I don't deserve none of this. Well, I'm swinging around dick punctual. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the only way to kind of drive home how badly he had behaved uh-huh. was to fuck with his damages. Okay. Because they were like, definitely adul- adultery really clearly happened. Right. You can't say it didn't. So you win, yes, adultery. But he was only awarded a single shilling. What? That's worth around five or six pounds today. Oh, my God. <laughs> Reuben Hold writes, quote, For the price of a pound of soap, a muslin neckcloth, or a roast beef dinner— Worsley had sold his wife and his honor to George Bissett. Damn. Ouch. I just got to say that from without ever stepping foot in the courtroom, Seymour torpedoed this man's whole case and he ended up getting eight bucks out of it. He got nothing. Oh, my God. It's like, here, go get yourself a half a sandwich. Have fun. Unbelievable. His little peep show cost him 3.7 million pounds. And she knew how to play it against him, too. She did. That's smart. I mean, her and the lawyers, like, they were like, I'm sure those lawyers were like, tell us everything. She's like, I got some news for you. And they were like, oh, oh, this is is too good. This is too good. I mean, and you have to admire the bravery of her being like, I will just lay it all out for you. and. You know, we'll get to it in part two, but she don't stop. She she continues to fuck with Richard <laughs> for a time. So it's it's just really cool that she was just, I think it must have been incredibly difficult to do that. Yeah. Especially with the fallout, she's going to have a long time of not being respectable, which is hard to be yeah. when you're a, a you know, gently born woman. Yeah. And she's like, you know what? Fuck all that noise. I don't like you. You don't like me. I don't know why I'm tied to you the rest of my life. Uh-huh. And you get all my money and everything. What do I get? Nothing. I yeah. get a son I don't yeah. get to see. Yeah. And a bunch of lovers who I can't marry and be with all the time. Right. And you just get to control all my movements and everything where I live. And she's just done with that. Man. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and you you got to look at the potential consequences she's looking at. She's like, I'm, I'm not coming out of this unscathed. Uh-huh. Right. Everything is stacked against me. So how can I, uh, you know, bare minimum, I'm going to tear him down with me. Mm-hmm. Best I'll get is I'll totally fuck up his life. Right. You know, she went for it. Yes, she, she went did. all in. And I think it worked out probably better for her than she thought it could have. Probably. You know? I think, too, there was a bit of um, self-preservation in it yeah. as well. Because, if you know, once he said he was suing for separation and not divorce. Right. That was pretty much the end of the story for Seymour. She has nothing yeah. else to lose. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how he fucked up, really. Is uh-huh. that he, she has nothing to lose. So she's got to rely on George to financially support her. And yeah. so if George loses everything and becomes ruined, who's mm-hmm. going to support her? Yeah. There's no one. She would have to find a new lover. So she's kind of like, at least I'll, you can keep your money if I, if I help you. Yeah. You'll have some money to pay for my life now that Sir Richard ain't going to do it. And I don't want anyone else right now. I'm in love with you. Because at this point, they're just separated. There's no divorce. Not not yet. They're not yeah. even separated legally yet. Right. They're right. just living apart. Right. But yeah, she thumbed her nose at every convention uh-huh. and was just like, I'm a modern lady, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> just this total torpedo for his plans. I love it. I yeah, love it. It's so cool. Like, without without you. even being allowed to show up. Mm-hmm. She's Incredible. like, I'll, so, I'll show you what a horse thinks. 
about being stolen. (laughs) (laughs) A horse can make itself known. Yeah, right? I mean, with the pens mightier than the sword, she spent a lot of time writing a bunch of letters. And look, she brought his whole thing down. You know, fellas, hell, ladies, everybody, if you're a person out there, you know, you and you think you got all this power over your partner and you're going to wheel it against them, don't do that shit. Mm-hmm. Because, first of all, because don't do that shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a bad thing to do. It's right. good treating people like shit. But watch them come back. Watch it bite you in the ass. You know, you think you're so high and mighty. You think you're, well, we talked about it. Richard thought he was so untouchable. Mm-hmm. He just laughed off all her nonsense. Because sure like, well, I'm, I'm, perfect. I don't know if you've heard. But I'm Sir Richard, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Well, guess what, Sir Richard? Now who are you? That's right. Now you ain't shit. Now you got eight bucks. Now you got eight bucks. <laughs> you got to pay for all these lawyers uh-huh. and stuff. Amazing. So there's all, there's, that's a, that's it. That's, that's a story right there. That's it And you're for telling now. me there's more? There's so much more. Oh. There's the new female coterie coming up, which is all these. Ladies like Seymour, who kind of put together their own club to hang out and oh, move about society. And a jilted women's club. So she's she's got some new friends on the way. They a they first both, wives club. A first wives club. <laughs> I mean, kind of. You know, for the longest time, I thought the first wives club. I've never seen it. For the longest time, I thought it was about. I just thought it was first ladies. Yeah. I thought it was about ex-presidents wives that hung out together and like when when you told me it wasn't that i was like oh yeah it's not the first ladies club it's first wives, wives is not what they call the first lady right. i don't know why i made that connection in it's my actually head actually a pretty good movie from yeah. my memory well, i'm just saying a movie i would love to see mm-hmm. is the first ladies the club first ladies. what do they all get <laughs> you know who else could relate to you but another first lady true well i can't wait to hear about this first wives club ah. <laughs> I am. I love it. I love it. I think they're so cool. I mean, you know, there's something to be said for the institution of marriage and holding up society or whatever. But I love these ladies (laughs) for being like, you know what? Fuck that noise. I'm just going to live my life and you can call me a slut if you want, but I'm happy and I got my own circle of friends and I'm doing my own thing out here. So I kind of love them. I'm excited to tell their story as well. And then Richard has some kind of weird shit coming up too. Mm -hmm. And I love uh, I love you sitting here doing a podcast with your spouse saying, yeah, it's something to be said for the institution of marriage, Whatever. blah, 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 <laughs> all that bullshit. Well, maybe I'll have to find my own George. No, I don't want to get divorced. No, not divorced. <laughs> just a, just someone uh, for you to peep on me and, uh, oh, yeah, me and so my I own can, George. That's what I'm really looking for. Yeah, I know. That's all you've ever really wanted mm-hmm. is to watch me and a. Uh, Socially inferior man. <laughs> Get it on. <laughs> What's that kink called? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's very specific. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, thank you for tuning in today uh, for this for this part one of this crazy story. Yeah. Uh, hope you loved it. This yeah, was, this is so wild. much more to come. Other things he did to her and their marriage and oh, stuff. Man. It's a lot. It's a lot. So yeah. tune in for the next part as well. Definitely. But tell us what you thought about this one. Please. You can email us at thedickromance at gmail.com. Or find us on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at oh great, it's Eli. I'm at Dynamite Boom. And of course the show is at Redick Romance. That's right. And we always love to hear from you. Yeah. Thank you so much for spending time with us today, and we'll see you next time. That's right. Bye-bye. So long, friends, it's time to go. Thanks for listening to our show. Tell your friends, neighbors, uncles, and aunts to listen to our show, Ridiculous Romance.
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com, that's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.